Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Today, we're talking about a disturbing investigation from the nonprofit news service ProPublica and the Chicago Tribune. They're called quiet rooms, cool-down rooms, calming rooms. But as ProPublica and the Chicago Tribune learned, some school districts in Illinois are using these isolation rooms in ways that would make your blood boil. Kids are being locked in them for minor offenses and kept in a form of solitary confinement, sometimes for hours on end. Jennifer Smith-Richards of the Chicago Tribune and Jody S. Cohen of ProPublica wrote the story, along with Lakidra Chavis of ProPublica. And Jennifer and Jody are joining us by phone to talk about it. Uh, Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And Jody, uh, welcome to St. Louis on the Air. Thank you. So, Jennifer, at the time you published your report, school districts were allowed to use these rooms, but they couldn't just put a student in them for any reason. What were the guidelines covering their use at that point? There was really one rule about when you could use seclusion in Illinois. Um, We actually call it isolated timeout here. And the rule was it had to be for a safety reason. So a physical safety concern um, for the student, his peers, or the staff. Okay. So that was the rule. What did you learn in your investigation about how they're instead being used? Right. We certainly found cases where there was a safety issue present and a student was behaving in a way that wasn't wasn't safe for all the people involved. However, we also found lots and lots of cases where kids were being noncompliant or disruptive or rude to the teacher, and they were finding themselves um, in isolated timeout, often behind a locked door. And how frequently uh, was this something being used by teachers in Illinois? Right. So we looked at um, places that had previously reported to the federal government that they had used seclusion. And that ended up being about 100 districts we ended up getting records from so that we could understand that scope. And um, is this something we, where it's, it's mandatory if you're using it, you do have to file a report with the federal government? You do have to, every two years, submit data on your usage to the federal government, how, how often you're using it and how many students. Um, but the state of Illinois was not collecting any data on this. Mm-hmm. And so when we, when we went in and started to document these cases, we came up with more than 20,000 instances of isolated timeout within one school year plus a few months of the next school year. So about a 15-month period. Wow. That seems like a lot. Were you surprised by the frequency that, that you found in these reports? We were. I mean, frankly, we thought we were going to be done building this database uh, that we ended up analyzing for the story a very long time ago. But the truth is it took us almost a year um, to read through 50,000 pages of incident reports, um, conduct more than 120 interviews, and really try to understand and get our, our hands on this issue. Was it difficult, uh, Jody? If, if you could speak to this idea of getting these records in the first place, was it pretty easy to get them and it was just hard to crunch them? Or was that also a difficulty? So we got them through public records requests, and some were easier than others. Um, Some school districts provided the full incident reports, um, in some cases sending more than 1,000 pages of records. In other, um, for other school districts, we had to really fight for them and involve a lawyer. And and in the end, some districts still refused to provide records. So... Hmm. No, it was not always easy to get the records. And so when you're saying you have records showing 20,000 uses of these, there might still be more out there from districts that weren't even turning things over? Weren't turning things over or had not previously reported using seclusion um, reported to the federal government because our 
records request was based on districts that had previously reported it. Now, we've since learned, and this is a national problem, that the data to the federal government is underreported. So 20,000 is for sure an undercount. Okay. Now, for those of us who are listening to this conversation, we want to hear from you. Has your child been put in a seclusion room or um, isolated timeout, as they call it in, in Illinois? Or are you a teacher who's used them? You can give us a call at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. Now, in this amazing project that you guys put together, you tell the story of a child named Jay. Gill. It's just a heartbreaking tale. Tell us a little bit about his case. Sure. Jace um, was nine years old in the records that we received. He has autism and he has epilepsy. So he had seizures. Um, he often would get frustrated at school um, and rip up his math worksheets or push books off his desk or sometimes say, I'm out of here. I want to leave. I want to not be here anymore. And he would end up in that school's quiet room. He really did not like being in the quiet room and would behave in a way that most of us would find absolutely horrifying, um, absolutely traumatic. He sometimes would urinate and defecate. And when these things happened and when he behaved this way in the rooms, um, staff were very dutiful. They continued to record what he was doing, what he was saying, what they were saying. Um, and often would leave him in the room in distress. Even as he is defecating? Yes. Um, and this Even is... Even as he was screaming, I'm crying alone. Uh, and, and under the rules of this, staff has to observe the child, but they there was nothing that said they had to go and, and then deal with the fact that this child had, had feces in a, a small room with him? There is nothing in the rules that suggests that staff have to help the child um, when he's having a crisis of any sort. So no, there was nothing that required them. I, I think just beyond, you know, care and mm -hmm. wanting to comfort a child. Um, no. And they, that didn't they, happen in this case. They didn't go in to comfort him. They did not. Okay. Had his parents been aware of how seclusion was being used in this case? I, I think his parents were, you know, similar to a lot of parents across the state where they understood that Jace had been in timeout, and they understood that sometimes it upset him and he didn't like it, and they would uh, send grandma to go and pick him up from school. But, you know, most of us as parents understand the word timeout to be something less intense and less traumatic. And so I think a lot of parents misunderstand what timeout is. They don't understand that it is seclusion and that children are often being physically left alone in a room that is locked for a long period of time. I just, that's not a message that most parents really absorb and understand. And the parents were not getting those incident reports where the staff were documenting, you know, sometimes nine pages of documentation. That was not provided to the parents. Is that something that should have been provided to the parents under the law? No. The law said only that parents need to be notified within 24 hours in writing but it does not say anything beyond that. So it does not say that they have to know what preceded the seclusion, what happened during the seclusion. And the 24-hour written notice, sometimes schools would put a letter in the mail, a generic letter that just said, 
seclusion happened on this day or isolated timeout happened on this day. And in some of the more rural parts of the state, parents might get those letters a week later and they were meaningless. We're talking to Jody Cohen of ProPublica and Jennifer Smith-Richards of the Chicago Tribune about their joint investigation into the use of isolated timeout or seclusion rooms in Illinois school districts. They are actually joining us via a studio at WBEZ in Chicago to discuss their reporting. Um, you guys went so in-depth in this story, and some of the details just blew my mind. You, you described in one school, quote, over the course of that one day, the rooms, and this is referring to these seclusion rooms, stayed busy, with two turning over like tables in a restaurant, emptying and refilling four times. That's a really disturbing scene. One of you was actually there watching as kids just cycled in and out of this room? No, we were not there. In fact, we want to point out that most of the schools that we asked, um, hey, can we come and visit and see what it's like in your school and the type of students you serve and, and frankly, the seclusion rooms too, they said no. Hmm. But we were able to paint this picture and tell the story through the records. And so this is a district that handed over 13,000 pages of incident reports. Oh, my goodness. And we went through those and categorized, you know, categorized them um, by, by date. And so we understood that these incidents had all occurred on the same day. And we laid them out and looked back to back at the times that these five booths at the school um, were used and how it worked. So we, we were able to actually piece it together through records. So you describe these as booths. That's another really interesting part of this story. In, in some cases, you were able to get photos of these spaces. In other cases, you actually asked the children to draw the rooms that they were, had been held in. Tell us a little bit about the range of rooms that you learned about in your reporting. Sure. So they're, as you pointed out, they're called many different things. Um, the, the school we were just talking about, they call them booths. That's not our term. That's what they call them. Um, but the, the rooms are typically very small, um, small spaces. They are sometimes padded, though not always. Many of them, I think probably most of them, have a door and a locking mechanism. And that, that lock has to be um, so what's called an active lock, so that the staff member on the outside has to continuously hold it hmm. in order to activate um, typically a magnet um, type of lock mechanism. I mean, the, the rooms are, are not um, something that I think schools like to talk about a lot, and they're not particularly proud of them. Um, and so they're, they're not pleasing to look at. They're, they're sometimes, you know, dark and um, unpleasant places. And the place with the booths was in Centralia, in the Kaskaskia Special Education District. Okay. So as you say, they're not proud of these rooms. Um, what kind of response did you get from school districts when you confronted them with some of the details in these reports and the overall use um, of and just how frequently they were being used? Frankly, some of the school districts were surprised. They, The superintendents did not realize how often they were being used. They did not know how often they were being misused. We were providing them, based on their own records, information that they did not have. Hmm. So they, they could have maybe been aware of this, but it, it sounds like you think they weren't aware of it. Some of the school leaders... At least they say they were not aware of it. And that we should point out that there is no state oversight of it. So there was this law that required school employees to document all of this, but there was nothing in the law that said anybody had to read it. So 
That includes school leaders. That includes the State Board of Education. Now, that has changed this week where there are now emergency rules that say anytime this happens at school, anytime a child is put in a timeout or restrained, they have the school has to notify the state within 48 hours each time. And now a timeout in Illinois as of Wednesday cannot be a child alone in a locked room. So let's talk about those changes. Those are a direct result of your report. Um, who kind of took the lead in following up on this investigation that you published? Well, within a day, the governor came, the very next day, the governor came out, called it appalling. The State Board of Education wrote emergency rules, which means they crossed out parts of the current law and created new rules that went into effect immediately on Wednesday. Um, There is a bill now that has now been filed that would ban um, isolated timeout under any circumstances, even you know, if there is an adult present. So there has been a lot of activity since Tuesday. And that's got to be so gratifying to see that kind of response to this investigation that you guys worked on for so long. Parents have contacted us and um, have expressed gratitude on behalf of their children. They did not, um, the people who have reached out to us anyway, did not like the practice. And they didn't know how to get the schools to stop using it. And this report, it it seems, has now uh, made a really important step on that front. I want to go just briefly here to the phone lines. We've got Michael calling from St. Louis, and um, he has some thoughts on this. Uh, Michael, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Oh. Thank you for joining us, Michael. What what are your thoughts on this matter? Well, um, my concern is that... um, uh, the big problem that I see in, in actually collecting data on this issue is um, for the, the big issue here in the state of Missouri is when we were trained as school staff, we were trained using NCI, which is a nonviolent crisis intervention program. But what we were trained in that program was that if you're restraining a child for, own, for under a minute, or they're in an isolate, like we don't really have isolation rooms technically in the state of Missouri, but we do have rooms without doors where the kids are, kids do get put, um, which I don't necessarily agree with. But we are told if we're not, we're not putting them in those rooms or we're not uh, restraining them for more than a minute, then we don't even have to document that. And that just seems outrageous to me. Um, and Michael, you're speaking as somebody who works in the schools? I used to. I left uh, left working in the schools because of the uh, for the main reason is because the federal government is not fully funding special education. Mm-hmm. So we have these policies in place like restraint um, that aren't actually like we're not schools aren't actually funded to actually uh, train staff to be able to effectively intervene in these behavior situations, particularly with students who have who are on the autism spectrum. So all of those things, the lack of federal funding, all of that is why I ended up leaving schools because because these are just these are inherent problems in our public school systems that need to be addressed, but they're not being addressed, particularly by our politicians. Michael, thank you for that call. Um, we do want to note in Missouri, there's been a bill proposed to prohibit the use of these rooms unless it, quote, supports the health and safety of other students, teachers, and staff members. An ACLU researcher testifying for that bill found that students with disabilities are 10 times more likely than their peers to experience restraint and 27 times more likely to experience seclusion. Um, as you guys noted in your report for ProPublica and the Chicago Tribune, some of these 
these children really have shown some challenging behaviors. Do you feel like there are alternatives for teachers now that they're going to crack down on this really problematic use um, that, that are going to be effective? Or are we going to have to go back to the drawing board here? There are 19 states that have banned some form of seclusion and are successfully still working with students who have challenging behavior. There are schools across the country that have taken a stance and said, seclusion is never okay. It's not humane. We're going to find another way. And the places that have been very successful um, in doing away with seclusion have done so because they've made a decision to learn how to identify what the cause of the behavior is and why a student is having such a hard time, what skills they're lacking. And instead of trying to squash the behavior when there's a crisis, they're solving it on the front end. Mm -hmm. And that takes a cultural change. It takes political will. And it takes a lot of training. Um, and as the caller pointed out, schools are really difficult places to work. And you have to have well-trained staff and an investment in making them better. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karen in University City also sent us an email, and she writes, While I totally agree that practices like this kind of isolation need to be carefully and rarely applied, it's important to understand that there are other rules when it comes to how a student can be physically handled. Sometimes the only way to protect other students and staff is to give the student their own space. My sister works with students that have many emotional and psychological issues, and she has been bitten and her hair has been ripped out. It sounds like a student, even a very young one, should be easy to calm down when they are in crisis, but it's not so easy. I worry that the way this is being discussed is vilifying teachers and other staff. Did you get any sort of pushback from teachers who are saying sometimes a, a brief timeout is absolutely necessary? Um, or do they do they understand the point that, that you're making that maybe there's other options? A lot of the, the staff we talked to were very conflicted, mm -hmm. right? They didn't like to do what they were doing. They didn't like seclusion. They frankly, they get hurt. You know, they, they do get hurt. There are injuries that happen. And it's a very demanding and difficult job. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that those staff wish that they had been taught other ways and other options so that they wouldn't be in a position um, to be hurt in the way that your listener just described. Mm -hmm. So these rules, you talked about how the governor took emergency action to make sure that, that this wasn't going to continue in the way that you documented. Um, what's going to have to happen uh, for that to become final? Does that happen automatically, or is there some sort of process that will follow here? There's a process. So the emergency rules are in effect for 150 days. Um, by then, there needs to be permanent rules enacted, and that is after a process that includes public hearings, and um, other steps, and the same at the same time, um, there is legislation that was introduced this week. I think it now has dozens of co-signers already. Um, there will likely be legislative hearings on the issue. So there are two parallel paths at this point. There's the rulemaking path, and there's the legislative path, and there's also an investigatory part of this where the state is now has now filed complaints on behalf of children named in the investigation um, and the state will now be investigating those children's schools as well as taking complaints from families and others and they will be investigating those as well. So it sounds like we'll see a lot more discussion of this issue thanks to the report um, that you guys put together. Yes. I think so. Well, Jody S. Cohen of ProPublica um, and Jennifer Smith-Richards of the Chicago Tribune, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you Thanks. for having us.
This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.